Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey, good morning, everyone. Appreciate you joining us today for The Wealth Standard uh, podcast for the week. My name is Ryan Lee, and I'm excited to be here today. Um, before we get going with the show today, I want to kind of just take care of a couple of uh, updates for you listening. Uh, so for any of you listening who are looking for additional resources in, uh, in addition to what you'll hear today, please visit our new website. It is thewealthstandard.com, www.thewealthstandard.com, or go to our regular website, which is paradigmlife.net. And if you've been listening to this podcast and to some of our new content that we've been putting out recently, you'll know that we've been doing uh, bi-weekly live presentations with Patrick Donahoe. Uh, Patrick, again, is he's been hosting these uh, Wealth Standard broadcasts where he's talking to people about how to increase their wealth, how to make their wealth more productive, and how to put themselves in a better position financially. No matter what stage of life you're in, the system that Patrick shares is something that can apply to you and put you in a better position. With that being said, his next uh, live broadcast is going to be a week from this Thursday, so November 20th, Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So check your emails. Look for an invite for that. That would be great to have you on with that. But today what we're going to be talking about is a, another form of, of you know, what this product can actually do for you as a person and as an individual. I am pleased to have with me today one of my favorite people here at Paradigm Life. Uh, this individual here, it's his first time on this, uh, web, on this radio show today, so we're, I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, it's Bill. So Bill, take, take a minute to introduce yourself. Ryan, thanks. Uh, my name is Bill Foggergren. I've been uh, here at Paradigm Life for about a year now. And uh, uh, I'm an advisor here. Um, I'm excited about being on the uh, podcast uh, today, and uh, we, uh, we're looking forward to uh, um, Patrick's next broadcast of the Wealth Standard as well. So. so I tell you what, that was a little bit short-winded. One of my favorite things about Bill is Bill has the gift of speech. Uh, this guy can talk competently about anything at any time. I mean, I can tell you stories where we, we go off on such a tangent of talking about something that, that is so random, but Bill has in-depth knowledge about it. So, Bill, tell us a little bit more about your story. How, you know, who are you as a person? How did you end up here at Paradigm Life? Thanks, Ryan. Hey, uh, I am from Salt Lake City, Utah here, and uh, I'm born and raised. My, uh, my wife and I met at the University of Utah, and she's from Portland, Oregon. So uh, we live here in Salt Lake. Um, uh, I came to Paradigm Life. It was a, uh, a great time. I, I come through kind of the line of uh, I worked in politics for quite some time. I did fundraising with a couple of our past governors, and I did uh, work within the political realm, and then I worked with uh, a couple of different large auto dealers here uh, in our state. And really what I, what I was doing is, is fundraising again in a lot of ways. Uh, what we did is some mergers and acquisitions and worked within that industry, um, and really what I found is individuals that could control their own destiny were people that were able to, uh, effectively use, uh, the funds they had available and whether that's, uh, using them for credit or whether that is using them in the most efficient way possible. And so I started to look at my own personal finances and how I, how I'd try to do that for myself. And if I were to set up the same type of a system. And which led me here to Paradigm Life, and, and really, it's been a, a big blessing in my life. It's been a, a a lot of fun. We have a 
a lot of really, really diverse and really interesting people here uh, that uh, believe in what we do and are excited about uh, the concepts that we that we get to teach. And so because of that, um, uh, I, I'm thankful to be here. Uh, also, at the same time, I, uh, you know, that's a great intro. Um, I am a wealth of uh, useless small facts and information. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, um, we're, we're lucky in having the people we have here because it, it is kind of a uh, a depth of knowledge, uh, lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds. Yeah, and I'm excited to explore a little bit more of your background on the on in the conversation that we'll have today. You know, for for you listeners out there, Bill was highly recruited by Paradigm Life because of the individual that he is. He brings a lot of tools, a lot of resource, res, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of uh, expertise to his clients. So, Bill, I'm I'm happy to have you on today. So for those of you who have been listening to our, our podcast and for those of you who m- may potentially be our clients already, most people who come to Paradigm Life, they come to us for a specific reason, right? Most people, they're not happy with their financial situation or they're not satisfied with what, you know, where they're at financially. And so they'll come to us looking for a different financial plan. As you've started working with clients over the past year, what do you notice when people come to us? What are they looking for? Well, it's it's pretty broad. You've got you've got three, four, or even five different things that that people are looking at. Um, a lot of people come in and they start looking uh, specifically at at infinite banking, or they start to look at like a legacy banking in their personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have individuals that come and and want to transition into a retirement phase, and so they're transitioning from uh, accumulating assets to dispersing assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people that come. Um, looking to use infinite banking in a myriad of ways as well, uh, in their personal businesses, in their personal finances, in um, in future uh, usage as well. So it's starting as a as a savings account. So because of that, we we, we get these people from really really a broad cross section of of people that that are coming to us looking to use the types of principles and to setting up the types of policies that we set up in. in uh, a ton of different ways, and so because of that, we've got to be able, the focus is really broad. Yeah, to help people accomplish their financial goals, right? Whether yeah. you're moving into retirement, you're just starting off. You know, the reason I bring that up is most people come to us looking to make their capital, looking to make their financial situation more productive, more efficient, and ultimately better. And so, a lot of times when we talk to people, we focus on on what we call the living benefits. Now, I'm going to put the brakes on a little bit with the living benefits, and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the product that we predominantly use. Predominantly, we use permanent life insurance as the product that will accomplish all of these living benefits that you mentioned, helping people in retirement, helping people with their business and all of that stuff. But when you just take a step back and say life insurance, uh, you know, why on earth would anyone buy life insurance? What is the purpose of life insurance? And that's that's really the, the great question. You know, when we when we look at... Um, life insurance uh, as as a product, it 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 can it gets such a bad rap. Uh, people people turn off so quickly for it that we're in an industry that, and especially the place we are, is such a special place in the way that we we look at setting up these types of policies. That when we start to look at permanent life insurance, mm-hmm. you know, we're really indemnifying against a loss. So if 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 somebody were were to have a physical uh, loss within their life. 
um, what is the cost associated with it in the future? And we are not very good at, as people, at looking at that and evaluating ourselves as what type of a loss that would be for our families. Okay. That, that's a big thing that you just bring up right there. The loss of an individual, what type of loss does that actually have? So before we talk anything about banking and about what this concept can do for people while they're alive, let's talk a little bit more specifically about what the asset really is. When we have a life insurance policy, it's on an individual life, right? Which means we are insuring the human life value of an individual. Um, over the last couple weeks, for me, that, that has become so, so increasingly important in my life. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just be a little bit vulnerable here on, on, the, uh, on the microphone today. Uh, you know, I've had a couple things that have come up in my life recently that have made me become ultimately aware of the, fri- you know, how fragile my life actually can be. And when I look at that, the most important asset in my family's life, in my own life, is me as a person. And if we use life insurance to protect our human life value, it opens up so many more possibilities. You know, last week we were talking as a group of advisors, and one of the advisors here lost a, a friend, right? relatively young, in his 40s, right, uh, and passed away prematurely, definitely. Um, anytime a person passes away, what is the impact that that will have on the people that are in their circle, their family especially? What are your thoughts? Well, you, you can look at it twofold. Um, the first way you can look at it, you can look at it in the way that the insurance company looks at it. Mm-hmm. And they look at that, they look at it from a very sterile point of view. Right. They look at it just from the numbers. They say, gosh, how, what is the life expectancy from any individual? What is their income that they, that they bring in? And over that life expectancy, what would be the loss to their family based on just that? Right. And, and we as individuals need to be better at looking at that number. Right. Because that number is significantly higher than we put on ourselves. It really is. Um, uh, anytime, that, anytime we ever hear as advisors that I, I'm, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. It means somebody doesn't understand the type of policies that they have because an insurance company knows specifically really what we're worth. And so they, they're able to help and guide us with their guidelines as pertaining to, 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 to what that value is. When we start looking at it on the secondary aspect of, of really what, what is our life worth to our family, what is uh, having us around for uh, future benefits, and how do we indemnify against that? How do we... How do we um, how do we put our family in a place that that without us um, they are they are going to be able to weather that storm? Mm-hmm. That is really where we need to put our our mindset when we start looking at permanent insurance. Right, maintain a standard of living. Right, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, and, and from my perspective, you know, having permanent life insurance in my life, you know, in addition to all the banking and the things that I've used the policy for. Having a permanent life insurance has really given me so much security, so much economic reliability to know that if anything does happen to me, to me personally, my family would be taken care of. And that, that insurance is priceless. You know, me as the, as the ultimate asset in an insurance policy gives my family the economic security that they need to carry on financially if I'm not there to, uh, to continue to produce. So I, I wanted to kind of back up a little bit and talk about the importance of life insurance for that very reason, right? Insurance is ultimately an insurance policy. It's insuring the human life value of an individual. And, you know, if the policy is set up right, in addition to insurance, it's going to provide many more benefits. Now, most people, when they look at the insurance industry, it's a tough deal to make, especially, you know, for a young person because, 
the only benefit that most people are going to get from their life insurance is if they pass away. And the, really, the benefit is the economic security that you know that your family's taken care of. Most people, that's a, hard, that's a hard sell to make, right? I mean, if you're buying a life insurance policy and the only way you get to win in that scenario is if you die, that's a tough sell to make. What, what are your thoughts on that, Bill? It's also really hard uh, at a younger age. Mm -hmm. So as, as we're younger, as, uh, we, we think less often about these things. We think we're more... Um, uh, we, we're, we're going to live much longer. So yes. we, we, we rarely think about mortality. Uh, and, and the cost associated with it, it can seem, uh, at, at times it can seem uh, as if it's a little bit more of a bur burdensome cost when we're younger. Uh, the, the cost associated with it as far as the, the time associated with it, uh, all of those things can be kind of a, a, a turnoff when it comes to insurance because we're not thinking long term. We're thinking in the short term. Right. We're invincible in the short term, right? Nothing can happen to us. Um, you know, to, to kind of bring that to, to home for me again, I've kind of alluded to this a little bit. You know, a couple of weeks back, I, I received a doctor report that I was that was a little bit uh, unnerving to me and that, re, you know, required some due diligence and some follow-up medical appointments and things like that. But it just made me realize that life is, is fragile, right? That's the one thing that we don't control. We hope to live forever. We hope to live as long as we can. We hope to live healthy lives. But at the end of the day, if, if we truly look at what insurance provides, it provides protection in the event that the unthinkable, the uncontrollable does happen. So um, looking at life insurance, it provides that. Now, what people come to us for, though, is they come to us for what we call living benefits. And so the way we approach life insurance is really the exact opposite from how most life insurance agents sell life insurance, right? What, what do we do that's different in, in terms of how we set up life insurance? Well, in many ways, we look at, at, at limiting the death benefit. Mm -hmm. The death benefit is a secondary asset to the primary asset, which is the cash value within a policy. And because of that, is that, that is a, a, a definitely a paradigm shift in the way people think about insurance. Mm -hmm. So the way you look at it is, is, is really we're focusing on the cash, and and the reason for the death benefit is to keep us underneath the modified endowment contract rule. So so that that would be the primary focus, and it's so different from standard uh, life insurance and and life insurance sales. If if we were standard life insurance, we'd start looking immediately at the human life value and going up to the top end of where that is and working our way back. Whereas we look at it differently in that really the focus of of most of the policies we set up is, like Ryan said, the living benefits. Uh, how, do we, how do we best use the assets available to us, mm -hmm. especially our financial assets? So here's, I, I like to call the, the living benefits, the cash value specifically, the applied human life value. And when we set up these insurance policies, right, as you mentioned, our focus is to bring down the cost of insurance, to bring down the death benefit. But nonetheless, the death benefit is there. So it provides the, the security of having guaranteed permanent insurance. And for those of you who have worked with us, you've seen that the death benefit steadily increases over time. But in the beginning, our goal is to limit the cost of insurance and really kind of make that a secondary, uh, a secondary focus. So we focus on the cash value. And in my opinion, that's the, applied, that's the applied human life value. When we focus on the cash value, we can build what is called a living benefit. So tell us a little bit about cash value. What is it, and what ultimately can it help our clients do at any age? Well, cash value, uh, cash value builds, and it's, it's, it's the asset we're trying to protect. 
So cash value is a, a is a guaranteed. Uh, it can be a guaranteed and a non guaranteed amount of value within any uh, whole life insurance policy. Uh, standard whole life insurance policy. Uh, the cash value is the secondary asset. In in the types of policies we set up, they in very in in often circumstances they're the reason for the policy mm-hmm. is is that cash value. And so as we build that up. Um, over time, that is really the permission slip or the ability we have to invest in uh, 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 future assets, whatever that might be, whether that's uh, our home improvements, whether that's uh, um, uh, depreciating assets like a vehicle, wh- whatever that might be as, w- as far as our our future investments, it's really our ability to use those funds in the future. Okay. So you're bringing up something that, that that's, that's kind of where we're going to transition to because I really like what you're talking about. You talked about a permission slip and using that cash value to accomplish short-term financial objectives. So if we set up an insurance policy the appropriate way, we will have permanent life insurance. In my opinion, that is the foundation. It covers the true asset, which is the individual. But in addition to that permanent life insurance, we're also going to have this cash value. And this cash value is very, very unique, and it's different from any other financial asset out there. Um, Have you ever heard of this saying, have your cake and eat it too? We really get to have our cake and eat it too, right? I mean, we get to have our cake, which is the life insurance policy, and we get to eat it too. If we set up our policy, our cash value is going to give us the ability to accomplish our short-term goals. So let's, let's transition into talking about what the cash value can do. Let's kind of preface that, though, with what traditional financial planning tells us. So an individual that's in the financial planning area, you know, regardless of your age, right, if you're looking to accomplish a financial goal, what is traditional financial planning telling people to do with their assets, with their dollars? Stockpile as, as, as quickly as possible. Uh, traditional financial planning tells you, A, to stockpile your cash, B, generally to put it in, in, in the market into a qualified plan. Okay. So what, what do you mean by stockpiling? What, what, what do traditional assets do with our money? Uh, traditional assets uh, are, are to be put away and to be saved, um, to hopefully be put into a, a, um, a, a growth asset uh, with, to try to limit as much risk as, as possible as well, yeah. uh, knowing that in the future we're going to have to disperse these funds from from such of a savings account to last us over a retirement era. Okay. So that, that's an interesting fact about most financial vehicles. The money is literally locked in there. It's really stockpiling, as you mentioned it. And, you know, if you're a young individual, you put dollars in at a young age and they sit relatively stagnant, right? You might be able to move them around amongst some different funds, but really the money is stagnant. It's in this account, whatever account you choose, until some future points. And let's just fast forward to that future point. At 65, only at that point you start taking a, a small sum of that capital back. So that your money is really locked up and stagnating for the majority of your life. With the life insurance policy, it's a little bit different, right? We get to put our money into a policy. In addition to having the death benefit, we get cash value. How does cash value different, or how does the policy, I guess, differentiate itself from normal financial planning tools? Well, uh, to start off with, we don't have the same type of fluctuations, so it's it's extremely safe. So we're we're not really beholden to to the stock market. We're not beholden to stockholders. Um, using mutually owned life insurance companies, we're we're really in a, a very safe place. Um, secondly, it's a it's a liquid, so uh, our ability to use those funds in and out of the policy at at 
at whatever time we deem necessary is 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 an important aspect for me it's really the reason why i i got into what we're doing yeah. is, is as we start to look at um uh funding policies and we look at putting our funds away um you know i was relatively young i like to think i was relatively <laughs> young you know you're talking 30 was pretty young and you start to look at putting that money away and putting money into a qualified plan and then you're looking at possibly using it for a purchase of a second home or using it for a college education. And I started to realize, well, gosh, you know, if I, if I lock this money up, I'm going to be penalized and trying to get it is, is much more difficult. So right. I, I love the liquid aspect, aspect, right. uh, aspect of the cash value within a policy. You know, one of the things I talk, talk with all the time with my clients about is control, right? And, and if we look at what you control, that dollar that you decide to save, that represents a significant effort on your behalf, right? You go to work, but before you even go to work, it starts way before that, right? You start off with an education. You start off with you know, developing you as the asset, making you as productive as possible. You then show up at a place where you can provide value for someone in some form or capacity, and that value is oftentimes returned to us in a dollar. We then, once we have that dollar, that dollar has no intrinsic value in and of itself, but we have two choices. We can spend that dollar today or we can save it. When we choose to put it in the saving vehicle, a qualified plan you mentioned, that money's gone, right? It's locked up and it's gone. When you go to fund college, when you go to buy a home, it does, you really can't use those type of plans in most cases. There's, there's opportunities where you can use some of those plans. With the, with the cash value Focus life insurance policy. You're going to have your money, and you're going to be in control of it to utilize it whenever you want. So let's talk a little bit about how a policy loan works, because I find oftentimes when clients come to us, that's a little bit of a source of confusion for them. How can we have money growing and still have the ability to utilize it? So when we take a policy loan, where is that loan actually coming from? That's a great question. You know, uh, a policy loan typically will come from the insurance company. There are partners, so we're 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 an owner of that company when we purchase a policy or or start a policy with a um, mutually owned life insurance company. So because of that, when we request a loan from the policy, it doesn't come from our personal cash value. It's a loan against that cash value. Yeah. So really, it comes from the general fund of the insurance company. Um, they're going to send us that money, um, depending upon um, uh, w- our our requests. So it's not dependent upon our, our credit score or anybody else giving us a permission to do that right. uh, or what sort of payment schedule we have planned. So that, that, that is really left up to us to control that entity. That is pretty amazing. I mean, you mentioned you were in the car industry, right? So if someone came to you and they wanted to buy a vehicle and they wanted to obtain financing through your, your dealership, what did they have to do to get qualified for that financing? Well, that's uh, well. First of all, you've got to contact an outside institution, mm-hmm. um, and every manufacturer has got uh, uh, outside banking institutions. So, any even large manufacturers, the institution, the financial arm, is going to be a different entity. So, first of all, you've got to contact that outside entity, whether that's your local bank or credit union, or a large financial institution for uh, the vehicle manufacturer. So, they're going to contact them. They're going to share your personal information, which is a second uh, second step you've got to jump through. So they're going to talk specifically about your credit history as far as your auto vehicles. You, they're going to talk about your credit history as far as your consumer spending. So they're going to look specifically at two or three different things within your your credit profile. And then they're going to make you an offer. 
So they're going to talk to you specifically what they feel like their risk is associated with your specific profile. Um, and, and they're going to deem uh, what, what you qualify for. So right. they're going to talk to you specifically about the, the, the interest rate. They're going to talk to you about the term as well, the length of time. And, and you're going to be dictated to by, by any number of institutions what they deem necessary. Right. And so if we look at that, we've all been in that seat, right, filling out the application, hoping we get approved for this loan or that loan or whatever it might be. We're not in control. And if we do get approved, the, you know, whoever's going to loan us the money, they're in control. They tell us how much the loan will cost, what we have to pay, when we have to pay it. And ultimately, the consequences of what we don't, what will happen if we don't pay it, right? Mm-hmm. Taking a policy loan, switch yourself around. Who's in control of a policy loan? How does the policy loan work? Is differentiating differentiating from the the auto loan? Well, policy loan is a request. Uh, um, it can it can be made either by uh, if you've got a policy with us, you can contact us, or you can contact the insurance companies uh, individually as well. Uh, and and we just make a request. We we ask if we want the check overnighted or regular mailed, and, and that's really a, the the biggest concern the insurance company is is how would you like uh, the check sent? So no credit checks, no credit checks. Uh, there there's uh, uh, no no payment no repayment terms, no length of time, uh, no sp- specific follow up on on any of that. That's a breath of fresh air right there, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you know, imagine taking the loan that we've all been there before where we're kind of hoping that we're qualified with the insurance company. You mentioned earlier we're an owner of the insurance company, right? And one of the guaranteed provisions in our policy is we can take a, a policy loan at any time for any reason. And the insurance companies, really what they do is they know that they owe us money, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. guaranteed in the contract. They've guaranteed at some point in time they're going to pay us money, and that's where that death benefit comes in. So what they do is they use that policy as collateral, right? We can borrow up to the amount that we have in cash value in the policy, and when we take a policy loan, we are 100% in control, right? The insurance company comes back and says, okay, Bill, how much money do you want and how fast do you want it? Pretty awesome, right? That's a, that's, that's a pretty interesting way to, to look at it too. I mean it's, it is our money, right? So it's money that we put away. Yes. So it returns the ability for us to be able to better utilize our assets, um, whether that's a length of time, whether that's a, an interest rate, whatever that is, it, allow, it allows us the control in okay. the situation. Now, here's, here's, uh, here's kind of the next phase of that. If we're taking a policy loan, right, if we take a policy loan, what, what we talked about in traditional financial planning, $1 equals $1. If we save it, that's $1 less that we can spend. If we spend it, that's $1 less we can save, right? There's really no way around that. With your policy, we have the ability to use a little bit of leverage, right? So when we take a policy loan, does our rate of return on our cash value stop? Do we do we hinder our growth in our policy? That's that's probably the most unique feature of of any type of a policy that we set up is that that compound interest curve, the 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 rate of return that you're you're gaining on your policy is not affected by that loan. So even as you have an outstanding loan, your rate of return continues to pay you at a at at that set rate and so so it doesn't hinder the growth it doesn't stop our it doesn't impede our progress it doesn't change our outcome to the negatively in the future especially as we plan on paying back that loan yeah um it it doesn't affect that rate of return at all how amazing is that the fact that going back to have your cake and eat it too you can have your money inside of a policy when you take that policy loan the loan actually comes from the insurance company and they're just using your policy as collateral so the entire time you have the loan outstanding 
you have not diminished the growth of the policy. You know, one of the main functions of compound interest is time, right? Mm -hmm. If we're able to continue to earn compound interest and still utilize our capital at the same time, that's one of the best ways to overcome what I consider, uh, you know, I, I call it the silent tax, it's inflation. If we look at, if we look at you know, traditional financial vehicles, we put our money inside of these vehicles and it's gone. It's locked up and we don't use it for years and years to come. And when we do start to use it, we start using it in little small chunks and segments. With your insurance policy, you can literally overcome or combat inflation at the very least by having the ability to utilize your capital today when it's most valuable to you without diminishing the growth or the compound curve of your policy. Pretty unique, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably, it, it's probably the, the best feature of the policy. And it's the thing that, that, that really is the hardest thing for a lot of our clients to, to wrap their minds around because it's such a different way to look at our finances. Yeah, and then going back, so if we, if we kind of go back to where we started, who is, what is the asset? The asset is the individual. So when you have that policy loan, you can use, or when you have that policy, you can take a policy loan and you can use it for anything at any time. So as you've talked to clients, clients have many needs. What are some of the uses that your clients or that you individually have for policy loans? Uh, policy loans are really, really broad from uh, uh, small business equipment to uh, personal loans uh, to education loans. Mm -hmm to um uh to uh, uh retirement plans uh we've had i've i've just really across the board there are really a myriad of of reasons for a policy loan yeah uh everything from uh changes in life mm -hmm. uh changes in job to uh actually financing growth within their financial world as far as in an investment okay perfect and you know i'll tell you a, a personal story when I first started this concept. I, you know, I, I came from the traditional financial background that most people are in, right? You go to school, you get a good job, you put your money in your 401k, and la-di-da, everything works out, right? It doesn't really happen like that. I mean, that's where most of our clients come from is they realize they follow a system that has not given them all that they thought they might be promised. But one of the big hurdles that I had to make when I first started using this concept was that I was the asset, the more I could invest in myself as an individual, the more productive I could make everything around me. The more productive my investments would be, the more productive my family could be. I could start a business. I could buy you know, assets that I controlled. So I remember very early on deciding to start taking you know, self-improvement courses, right? financial education, things like that. And what, what a hurdle that was to actually invest in myself and in my own education but that has a compounding effect, right? The more we invest in us as the asset, the better we become. The more knowledge we have in our head and the more we can apply that knowledge, the more capital we can create, right? Dollar is uh, – money is just an effect, right? Yeah. The cause is what we, what we do, what we implement, and money is a return of value back to us. So the more we can invest in us, the true asset, the more we can create. Um, for those of you who have, have, have talked to me before or clients, you know, one of the things I've done with my policies over the last almost six years now is I've used it to invest in real estate. And going back to how this policy loan works, um, I can take my capital, put it into a life insurance policy. I can then leverage the value of my policy and go out and buy real estate, go, go out and buy an asset, right? That asset, if it's purchased correctly, will produce cash flow for me. So my policy loan that I've taken out will really be paid back by my asset, right? The asset will produce cash flow. That cash flow has to live somewhere. Most real estate investors, I notice, the money that they make from their real estate, it goes back to the bank. It sits in the bank and it's kind of just 
idle there waiting for the next investment. But I can use that cash flow and I can pay off my policy loan and I can just kind of push the repeat button, have my money cycling in and out, in and out, in and out. But the entire time I have the policy loan outstanding, I haven't diminished compound interest. Now, you mentioned a term earlier, permission slip. What, what did you mean by a permission slip? Well, uh, for me, permission slip is, is, is giving ourselves that permission slip. It gives us the ability to be able to spend that money knowing that if there were to be a loss, if there were to be something to happen, that it would be paid back, yeah. that it allows us to spend at a greater rate, at a faster rate, and to do it um, uh, with the knowing, uh, with the security that, that in the future we're, we're, our family isn't going to be at a loss because we've made this type of a capital expenditure. Okay, I love that. I mean, I, I consider the same thing. I consider the death benefit to be a permission slip. For me to go out and invest in real estate and to do some of these productive things, I had to have permission to do that. You know, if I were to pass away and, and pass on all of these liabilities to my wife, would that, would that real estate be as productive to my wife as it is to me right now? Probably not, right, without the proper education and the proper strategy behind it. But the death benefits is the permission slip to do that, right? If I passed away, that death benefit could kick out. It could pay off all of our outstanding liabilities. And it could put my wife sitting on top of a free and clear real estate portfolio in addition to you know, other things that the death benefit could provide. So the death benefit, it's, you know, it only comes to fruition when we pass away. But during our life, it does give us the permission to do things differently. Pre-retirement, we can utilize our capital in the most productive way possible. Right? We can yeah. utilize it to start a business. We can utilize it to finance education. We can utilize it to fund family vacations, buy cars, rental real estate, whatever it is. When we take the policy loan, we're in control, and the death benefit gives us the permission to do some of those things that we've been talking about. What are your thoughts on that, Bill? It also opens up our options. So I like to look at it as, as something that, that gives us greater options for our future as well. So it's not just the permission. It's, it's the ability and setting up a um, – the foundation that gives us options that we wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. So as we set up a, a, the permission slip or the foundation within the policy, which is the death benefit, as we have that foundation that's set up, as we have life-changing events that would hit us into the future, inevitably all of us will have health concerns. It's yeah. the nature of life. So we're going to have a concern. We're going to have something that's going to change. We're going to have an employment status. Something will hit us and, and, and will cause a change within our world more than likely, even if that's self-imposed, if we've decided to retire early or whatever time that is. By having a foundation that's set up that gives us the permission sl slip to spend at a different rate or to spend on a different type of an asset, something that's going to allow us to maybe take on an added risk factor or something that's going to uh, help us be able to spend a specific amount of uh, money knowing that our spouse or our beneficiaries we've left behind will have a um, will have the uh, the security that we're allowing them to have right. by the by having the death benefit. Right. Now, you mentioned something there that, that I want to kind of help us transition into the next phase, right? We were talking a little bit about how we can use our policy as a productive source of policy loans pre-retirement. Now, the goal of most people's savings is when they're preparing for retirement, they're putting money somewhere. They want that money to be as productive as possible. So at one point, so at some point in their life, today the magic number is 65 for most people, Right. 
at some point in our life, 65 is the time where we can walk away and we can retire. Now, if we think about how most savings vehicles work, we put our money into, into a, you know, an account of some sort, right? But the whole purpose of that account is to eventually generate a rate of return in the future. And as we're investing, most financial advice would be buy term and invest the difference, right? Mm -hmm. So we buy term and we take this extra investment and we put it somewhere where we can't use it. So it's really stagnating capital. It's being hindered by inflation. Maybe the market does its magic and maybe not. But at the end of the day, the whole purpose of, of us saving our money is to generate a future stream of income. Now, we've talked a little bit about a death benefit and human life value and what the death benefit does. If people follow the traditional financial advice of buying term and investing the difference, when they get to be 65, most people don't have any insurance whatsoever, and they enter into a retirement with self, you know, self-insured. Well, what does that term mean, and, and what does that do for most people? Well, self-insured means uh, – well, the way I look at that is a couple different ways. Um, realistically, the, the question is, is, do, is the value of our life any less that we've reached retirement age? Yes. So we've always got to ask ourselves that question. Uh, I would say no. Our, I, in fact, the value of our life is more than likely going to be greater at yes. that time. Point. Yes. So here we have an asset that's that we're losing at the or becomes extremely expensive at the at the time we need it more than any other time. So that that really where wherein lies the 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 big problem with with the buy term at the end of that term. That's really the the time where we need that asset, and it, that's where really where the value of that asset is. It's not in the beginning; it's in the end. And as that goes away, as that insurance drops off, we're left with 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 a um, a deficit uh, as pertaining to to our human life value. Mm -hmm. And 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 going forward, uh, our life is going to only be worth more. And that asset, uh, as that asset drops off, so it, it leaves us open to a liability. Number one, mm -hmm. number two is it shuts off our ability to have um, to have that permission slip exactly. or to have the options later to set up a foundation. If at if we're trying to set up that that insurance at a sixty five, seventy, and seventy five uh, year rate, the the expense is just much more. And so our, it changes our ability and it changes uh, our options. Exactly. Now it can definitely be done, right? We work with yeah. clients all the time all and the we time. help them set up policies at that stage of life. But if we look at insurance companies in general, these insurance companies, the ones that we represent, they're mutual insurance companies. They're private insurance companies. They sell term insurance just like all of the other insurance companies out there. Mm -hmm. But insurance companies in general are really, really good at what they do, right? And when you come to them and say, hey, I'm a male, this is my age, this is my family medical history, and this is my medical history, they know with almost 100% certainty that you will not die in the time that they sell you that term insurance policy, right? That's correct. That's why it's so inexpensive. Exactly, right? I mean, it's a very, very small percentage of term policies that ever pay the death benefits. And the older you get, they, they just increase the price because they know that their risk goes up, the probability of you passing away goes up. So most people, they have that term insurance. They... In potentially invest the difference. Now, we know that most people don't invest the difference. It's more like buy term and spend the difference, right? There was a, a Forbes article, uh, and I just pulled this little paragraph out of the Forbes article. It was uh, published in March of this year. And in this article, it, it kind of re kind of gave a recapping of buy term and invest the difference, what that has actually produced for people. 
um, the scorecard of American personal finances, the average net worth for individuals who followed this strategy at age 65 was $206,000. So the buy, term, and invest a different strategy netted people $206,000. And they enter retirement without any insurance whatsoever. So let's talk a little bit about how that works. If you enter retirement with the assets that you've accumulated only and no insurance, what are you kind of forced into doing in terms of how you take income from this asset base? Well, you're, you're forced to hold on to it tight. I mean, that's really um, what uh, a lot of uh, individuals that are coming to us with, with a, an asset base like that, it's you're, you're forced to be very conservative with how you spend it. And and our concerns uh, are, you know, they're gonna you're gonna have two or three different concerns based on that. Is one length of time. Yeah. Uh, the the second is going to be uh, the ability to to have it last. Right. And your third is going to be um, security. Um, you know, if it doesn't last, what what are our options at that point as well? Okay. So without without insurance, you're kind of backed into a corner, and that's where this self insured comes from, right? You have mm-hmm. your assets, and here we're looking at the average American assets at age sixty five with buy term and invest. The difference is about two hundred thousand. That in and of itself poses a pretty big problem. But outside of that, whatever assets you have without insurance, you're kind of forced into a corner, saying, okay, how long am I going to live? Yeah. And with that, you have to figure out how much income to take from that asset base to try to make it last the rest of your life. Required minimum distributions. This is a term that was recently introduced into our qualified plans, and it was introduced because people were hoarding their money, right? They mm-hmm. weren't taking the distributions. And if we think about all of the reasons that people were saving in the beginning, rewind them back to their 30s, back to their 40s, and back to their 50s, why did they give up the utilization of their money at that time to save it? It was for a future stream of income. And then you fast forward them to that, to that time where it, when it's time to take that income, most people are scared to death to do it. And it's simply because they don't know how long they're going to live. Mm-hmm. So without that knowledge, they're forced into a corner saying, okay, what if I live 20 years or 25 years or 30 years? What if we have to throw, you know, not have to, what if we have the opportunity to throw a spouse into that equation? How long are two people going to live, right? That's right. It makes retirement planning so much more difficult, and most people are in that situation where they have to take as little as they can to try to make that asset last as long as they can, mm-hmm. right? Have yeah. you noticed that with some of the people you've talked with? Yeah, that, and then, then uh, we're involving a lot of guesswork as well. So we're leaving that up to to us to have to figure out for ourselves and to guess, okay, how long am I going to live? And then if I do have a spouse, uh, how long uh, is she going to live as well? Uh, So if I've got – or a significant other. So if I've got people that I'm I'm – I'm concerned about. I've got to. I've got to take the intangible equation of of how long they're going to live and put that into this, into this equation as well. So that really is one of the primary things people come to us and say, okay, well, uh, I have X amount of dollars. How long over over time? Uh, you know, my my chief concern is making it last and having the security of having this amount over a, a distance of time. And then what is that time yeah. period? So I'm going to bring it back to insurance one more time, right? I mean, we've kind of had human life value as the underlying current to everything we've talked about. You are the assets. You, the individual who is insured, is the asset. And if you enter into retirement with guaranteed permanent life insurance, that permanent life insurance becomes ever increasingly more a permission slip. If you know that you have a guaranteed death benefit in addition to the assets that you've that you've been able to accumulate – what does that death benefit give the uh, the ability to do 
to that income or to that to that asset base that you have? What does it give you the ability to do in retirement? It 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 gives you the ability to know that that any of the assets you spend in that cash value will be replenished upon your passing. Yeah. It gives it gives you safety and security to know that any individual you might leave, any significant other, any beneficiaries, any children, grandchildren, uh, would be able to be benefited from the, those funds, and it allows you to be able to spend your funds at a much higher rate, knowing that they'll be replenished. Okay. That, that is such a beautiful thing for me, because if we think about what the purpose of saving is from the very beginning, it's to generate an income stream at some point in the future. Most people never get the ability to utilize their capital as they're preparing for retirement because it's in a stagnating qualified plan, for example, where they can't access it. But then once they get to retirement, they're really forced into a corner where they take the minimum distributions that they have to take only to satisfy the tax – whatever, you know, the tax penalties of that account. <laughs> but they, they can't do anything else. I mean they're relegated to taking as little as they can from the assets that they work so hard for. With life insurance, you now have a permission slip even in retirement, and that permission slip is you can spend your assets more aggressively, more efficiently, and more effectively than you otherwise could because when you pass away, right, and that's the unknown. That's the great unknown. When you pass away, that death benefit is what will kick out and further fund the retirement of the surviving spouse. If there's life insurance, permanent life insurance on both spouses going into retirement, we get the opportunity to talk a little bit about a legacy. What is a legacy in your opinion, Bill? Well, uh, a legacy, a legacy to me is um, a legacy to me in in many ways is uh, what you want to leave as a determining factor to the people you've left behind, and what really is the mark you want to make, um, and and really what defines that more than anything else is our ability to dictate from from the grave and from when we've passed what we would like to happen with the funds we've left behind. Yeah. And the only way to really do that is with a monetary amount. Yeah. So whether that's whether that's trying to motivate individuals to finish college or to go to a top 10 college or to finish with a uh, a good GPA, whether that is um uh, where we would like um, uh, individuals to uh, to continue to live, whether that's a spouse, whether that's to help fund those, uh, whether that's children, grandchildren, whatever that is, the the only way we're really left to do that and to dictate that is with uh, uh, monetary funds yeah. on our passing. So I like what you just said there. Money really has no value, right? Now, money can be a motivating factor for many people, uh, but with your policy, we talked about how you can take policy loans before you move into retirement. We're talking about how you can use your policy in retirement. We're talking about how your life insurance, your, your guaranteed death benefit will give you the ability to utilize your assets more efficiently. But if we know that we can utilize our capital in a productive way, right, and mm -hmm. we can take these policy loans, could we not use our policy loans as a teaching tool, as a way to teach financial discipline, to teach financial education to our family, to our spouse, to our kids? What are your thoughts with that? Well, I think that's probably, as we, as we learn to better utilize our funds, I think uh, some of us have to pay a lot in mistakes mm -hmm. to be able to learn these lessons. Uh, how many people do we get to talk to that have, that have had to learn lessons the hard way in life as far as uh, – uh, saving and and utilizing their funds to their uh, best ability and and usually those lessons come at a great cost so as we've learned these things isn't that really the what we'd love to pass on 
to who we're leaving behind to our right. children and our grandchildren uh the the things the 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 types of of things that we have learned uh with using money and using funds and that have been valuable to us in our lives um, that would be something I'd like to pass on to my children. Absolutely, to my grandchildren. Absolutely, the, the education, the philosophy, the mindset, the what what your human life value truly is. Right, it's you mm-hmm. passing on education, lessons, um, experience really an example to your family and to those around you. Money can be the motivating factor for them, for for your family to listen to you and to to participate in what you're showing them. But at the end of the day, human life value is so much more than a dollar. It's so much more than a, you know, that little paper asset that we trade back and forth with people. Human life value is the value of an individual. That cannot be quantified, right? Mm-hmm. And the more value you can provide for other people, the more money you're going to get in, in exchange returning to you. If you can take that money and put it in a productive, a productive vehicle that will not only protect your human life value from a monetary standpoint, but also give you the ability to utilize your capital all the way throughout your life, either as a bank or as a potential source of income in retirement, it just puts you at it's so much you know so so much of an advantage compared to where most people are at. Most people are in a position where every dollar that they come in that that comes into their life they 're in a position of scarcity. Mm-hmm. That dollar only does one thing if they save it that 's one dollar less that they spend. Mm-hmm. Most people don 't teach their kids financial lessons because their money 's locked up, and there 's really no actionable solution to teach their kids a financial lesson. With this concept, you can teach your family financial lessons. You can have compounding interest that will grow the entire time you're teaching those lessons. And at the very core, you're protecting your family permanently for, the, for your entire life from a financial standpoint. I, I love life insurance just because of the many different opportunities that it gives you. I mean, it's not just life insurance. It's so much more than that. It's the living benefits. It's the life insurance. And then it comes down to the individual, how that individual actually utilizes that tool on their behalf. Yeah, I I think for me that's that's the beauty of what we do here at Paradigm Life is really the thing that that motivates me every day. It's why we're excited about talking about what we get to do. It's it's the type of asset that we talk about. It is something that allows us to be able to cut fear out of our lives. It's the it's the asset that allows us to be able to um, uh, 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 provide safety and security over the long term. Yeah. And, and it's something very simple that we can set up as a foundation. Uh, that will pay us such huge dividends later on in life. Right. So if if you know if we kind of bring it back to where we started, if you are the asset, and this goes to anyone who's listening today, you truly are the asset. Come and talk to us. Let us help you understand how you can put your human life value to work in so many more productive ways. You know, you can put it to work that will in, in a position that will help you in retirement. You can put it to work in a way that will help you pre-retirement. You can put it to work in a way that will protect your family and guarantee that your family will be able to, to sustain their, their, their life, right, their, from a monetary standpoint mm-hmm. upon your passing. We haven't talked a lot about this, but one of the big benefits of the death benefit is the tax benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Every investment that we talk about, we always have to correlate that with whatever the tax penalties are with that. With the life insurance policy, if we set it up to qualify as a life insurance policy, tell me a little bit about the tax benefits that come from a policy. Well, one of the one of the great things about it is is that it is uh, passed on tax free. So any beneficiaries that that receive uh, uh, the funds that come from a death benefit, it's uh, it's a non taxable asset. Yeah. It goes in and it's uh, 
it's a it's a tax-free payment to them so there's no income tax there's no capital gains tax there's no tax involved with it uh, which is a uh, which is a huge plus I mean that that looks the gains of uh, you're not leaving anybody with a liability as far as uh, what you're passing on to them it also uh, is the, the uh, when we look at it as a secondary way to pass on wealth it is extremely efficient so we have less of it going to Uncle Sam, more of it going to where we would like it to go, whether that's an individual, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a financial institution, yeah. whether that's an educational institution, yeah. wherever that might be, uh, you get to dictate where those funds go at a more efficient rate. Putting you back in control, right? Mm -hmm. So here, here's an interesting thought that, that kind of goes along with this family banking idea, right? What if during your life you're able to teach your family a set of financial principles, something that they're obviously not going to learn in the school, you know, the school system, but what if you could teach them a different financial paradigm? You can help them utilize a family bank and utilize capital all throughout your life, at the very same time protecting your human life value. And upon your passing, that death benefit goes to an estate or goes to your family in a way that it sets up new and additional banks for each one of your children. Your family bank can really perpetuate from generation to generation to generation, and you can pass wealth and the accumulation of wealth on generationally tax-free. It's a pretty powerful concept. And in addition to that money, really you're passing on an ideology. You're passing on a family motto, a family, a family tradition of how to spend, how to save, and how to invest more efficiently. It's really allowing the values that you believe in. And, and that is what have really have dictated your life. It allows you to be able to pass those on uh, well beyond when you're here yeah. so that those values are perpetuated in the people that you love and care about. Right. And if you really feel strongly about one thing or another, whatever it might be, if you're espousing a, a specific belief, if, you're, um, if you've got a specific uh, way to use your money, it allows you to be able to pass that on not just to your children but also to your grandchildren and generationally because it will pay back for generations to come. It is the way that, that we can set something up so that um, we will ha be able to have a, a long and lasting effect in the lives of the people we love and truly care about. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine whatever age you're at, imagine a great-great-grandchild accessing the family bank. And in order to do so, they had to learn about their great-great-grandfather or great-great-grandmother, whoever set that up. And they had to learn about what the family motto is, what the creed is, what the, what the purpose of these policy loans are for, and what they have to do to repay it, to, to grow the wealth of the family. I mean, you could change generations within your family by setting up a family bank and by utilizing not necessarily the money, but the money would be kind of the driving force, but setting up a different financial paradigm something that would change your family's life for generations to come. And I think that's a pretty powerful concept. If we look at it on the flip side briefly, right? I mean, if we accumulate all of our wealth inside of a qualified plan mm -hmm. and we go into retirement, right? We have no insurance. We're relegated. We're backed into the corner to try to figure out how long we're going to live. And thus, we're taking minimal distributions. We're in the, the, the position of scarcity, right? Not abundance. Mm -hmm. So we're taking these minimum distributions really to satisfy the tax needs of these qualified plans more so than anything. Because we've got to. Because we have to. That's the, that's the vehicle that we chose, right? Yeah. And then if the unthinkable happens, right, if, if we pass away, all of that money has to come out of the qualified plan at once. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's termed the unthinkable, but, but it should be the thinkable. It will inevitably happen, yeah. but never on our own time frame. Okay. We never get to dictate that. Very good, very good uh, opinion there or thought on that. I agree with that 100%. But when that comes out yeah. – 
whatever the tax consequence is, we pay it. Yeah. And whatever's left over goes to our family. And if we pass on money without any, without any education, without any foundation below it, money's just money. It has no intangible value. It'll be spent. It'll be lost. It'll be gone. And I'll file a tax return after I die. So will you. So we'll all file those tax returns. Yeah. So upon our passing, we have liabilities. We will leave. It's how we mitigate those costs. I love it. I love it, Bill. That was a great conversation today. For those who, of you who are listening, call us up. We'd love to talk to you. I mean, we'd love to speak with you individually about your financial goals, what you're looking to accomplish. Remember, you are the assets. Above that, you know, any dollar amount that we can, that we can talk about, you as the individual, you are the asset. And the more we can capitalize on you as the asset and you utilizing your human life value as, as, as productive as it can be used throughout the, the duration of your life, the better off you're going to be and the better off those in your immediate circle of influence will be as well. So it's almost Thanksgiving. I'm grateful to be here with you today, Bill. It's been a really fun conversation. We're grateful for you listening today. Look forward to meeting you. Look forward to talking to you. And I uh, hope you have a great day. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. 